Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. It's time to take a look around the NFL with John McClain from gallerysports.com and Sports Radio 610. Here's your boy Q. And John McClain joins us now on the phone lines to kick off our number two of the show. And John, we appreciate you as always. The Raiders topped the Texans on Sunday at Allegiant Stadium. Anything stand out to you uh, on either side of the ball for the Texans or the Raiders in that game on Sunday? Every game the Texans have played this season, they've had a chance to win in the fourth quarter, and they've only won once. They led the Raiders 20-17 to early in the fourth quarter, and the Raiders scored on another drive, uh, four consecutive touchdown drives, in which they just shoved the ball down their throats. I wrote that it's like a bully stealing your lunch money. <laughs> and I don't understand how a team, the Texans, can be so pathetic against the run three years in a row with different coaches and different players. But the Raiders just dominated them. Josh Jacobs is running angry because he's running. He's going to make a lot of money. It's amazing how many running backs' contracts are up, led by Saquon Barkley and uh, Josh Jacobs. And the I went back, I always go back, I tape the game cue, and I watch it every play over and over and I'll tell you, Josh McDaniels has got to be really happy about his blockers, not just in line, but the other players who were blocking because they had a smart game plan. They would lure the ends inside and then Jake and take them inside, and Jacobs just bounce outside in the in the uh, four touchdown in the four touchdown drives in which he scored three at under thirteen yards rushing. So that talent finally uh, showed. And the Texans are not a bad team, as the record indicates, because they have, had, like I said, had a chance to win every game in the fourth quarter, and they blow all but one, and that was in Jacksonville. And uh, they got a lot of young players. They make a lot of boneheaded mistakes, like um, Mac Collins' touchdown down the middle, in which rookie safety Jalen Petrie bet on the wrong player and couldn't get back over, but I'm guessing that the that the uh, Raider organization, not to mention Raider fans, got to be feeling really good after the way they just bounced back and pounded the Texans. Yeah, no, that was definitely a need or a win that a Raider Nation needed in a major way, and so feeling good about that, and now they have an opportunity you know, to, to play some teams that have a, a lesser record, but of course every game in the NFL is tough, so they got to go out there and handle their business, but John, we spent the whole day yesterday talking about Josh Jacobs, and I know you know he's in a contract year, so you're always going to get the best out of a player in a contract year, but to me, and this is even on my end, I feel like Josh Jacobs flies under the radar where we don't talk about him enough as one of the better backs in the league. Do you hear his name? more than you think, or, or do, you, do you think he flies under the radar as well? He flies under the radar, and one of the reasons he deserved to be under the radar. You know, has he been good ever his first four years? Uh, I, he's been great this year. Right. And I some of it has to do with the Raiders, but and their record and the turmoil and things that happened that took attention away from the players, and Derek Carr's the face of the franchise. But I think Jacobs now, and it always worries me when a player has his best season in a contract year. It worries me even more when a player doesn't. <laughs> because when you're playing for money and you're nicked up and, and you, don't not, you don't seize the opportunity, that is frightening. But Jacobs right now, 
you know, he's going to, you know, he's going to keep getting the ball. You know, the Raiders ran for 164 yards. Texans were giving up 164.7. So it wasn't that they ran for over 200 yards. It's when they did it and the way they did it when the game was on the line. And he just kept coming down and humiliating the Texans defense, especially the run defense. And that's a good sign because, you know, you, you got to run the ball to win. You can't throw the ball all the time. And based on how the AFC West is playing out, it's not nearly as good as we thought it would be. Chargers, disappointment. Broncos, disappointment. Raiders have been a disappointment. Mm-hmm. And the Chiefs, of course, have not. But there's a wild card position there for the taking. And if the Raiders keep playing the way they played Sunday, they get a good chance to get on a roll and earn a playoff berth. Talking right now with John McClain from gallerysports.com, also Sports Radio 610 in Houston here on Raider Nation Radio 920. And, John, I know that Davis Mills has had a, a season where he regressed. He hasn't really been that good of a quarterback. But until that pick six that he threw at the end of the game, I thought he was playing pretty well. Was that a better version of Davis Mills that you've seen so far this year? That was by far the best, and I blame a lot of it on their new play caller, Pep Hamilton. This is the first time they let him throw the ball down the field. It's usually dink and dunk. And they've got this thing. For some reason, Pep Hamilton thinks Rex Burkhead can still play in the NFL. And when Damian Pierce, the rookie running back, is on a pace for about 1,450 yards, um, when he goes out for rest, they bring in Burkhead, who averaged 2.2 yards on five catches, not runs. And so they're limited like that when Pierce goes out. But other than the pick six, that was his best game. He threw the ball down the field. 25-yard touchdown throw to Philip Dorsett. It was as good a throw as any quarterback in the league could make between two Raider defensive players. And, you know, they put, they put the fear of God in the Raiders and we mm-hmm. kept coming back until they just got steamrolled. So, yes, that was the best he's played, especially in the third quarter when they let him open it up a little bit. Their offensive line gave him good protection. Raiders said one sack on the last play of the first half, so uh, protection wasn't an issue. But, uh, uh, yeah, they're still going to need a quarterback at the top of the draft. A lot of teams are going to need a quarterback, and a couple of them are going to need them. I didn't know they were going to need them. And uh, so I would suspect Texans, they should trade some veterans at the trading deadline to help them be bad. And then uh, they already got 12 picks next year in the draft next year, including Cleveland's number one pick and their number one pick. So they're in good position, but they're not going anywhere. If you're going to be bad, to me, be all the way bad. Talking again with John McClain from GalleriesSports.com, Sports Radio 610 here on Raider Nation Radio 920. DeMond's got one for you. Yeah, you just mentioned some veterans that they, they should trade away to try to be as bad as possible. Is Brandon Cooks on the list of veterans that you think that the Texans should move by the trade deadline? They signed him to a new contract in offseason, DeMond, and I don't think that contract allows them to trade him. They don't have $20 million under the cap for the, that it would take to trade him and the dead money, they'd have to redo contracts. And if you're trying to help Davis Mills get better, you don't take his best receiver, even though Cooks has not played that way this year. Last two years, he's really good. 1,000-yard receiver, and you expected it with Deshaun Watson in 2020. 
you didn't know what to expect last year. He's still his go-to guy. Plus, their other starting receiver, Nico Collins, he suffered a hamstring injury, and I think he's going to be out a while. So you can't leave a quarterback. You're trying to help improve and get rid of his best uh, wide receiver. But, John, didn't you hear they signed Tyron Johnson? He's the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> you guys will be fine at receiver. It's amazing. They had Tyron Johnson, then they had Tyler Johnson. They cut Tyler Johnson so they wouldn't be confused. <laughs> T-Billy. That's all you got to know, John. Just call him T-Billy. Uh, he became a fan favorite here, even though he didn't do a whole lot of anything. But he was a guy that everyone was talking about all the time. T-Billy this, T-Billy that. Let me ask you this, John. Well, he's got a great opportunity here because this team needs receivers. So if you do anything in practice, you've got a chance to play. There you go. Well, he's got speed. I can tell you that. He's got some speed, so maybe they'll they'll, they'll be on to something with, uh, with T-Billy there in Houston. Uh, is there any guys on the roster that you're looking at that could be potential trade bait? Jerry Hughes had four sacks in the first three games. He hasn't had one since. He's 34 years old. He's got a year left on his contract. He might be a guy that could come off the bench in passing situations. Uh, Desmond King, a slot corner, is playing really well. Mm. You know, if I was teams, I'd look at Desmond King, who went to the Pro Bowl with the Chargers. And, uh, but, uh, you know, it depends on sometimes you want to win a few games to convince the players and the fan base you're on the right track. You don't want to keep struggling on purpose. So I don't, Nick Serio loves draft choices. Got 14 next year, 10 the year after that, mm. and I'm not sure what he will do. But there's there's not a lot of untradeable players on this roster. I can tell you. All right, John, I want to touch on some stories around the league. Mike Evans got into a little trouble. <laughs> Did he sign an autograph for a referee or not? Where do you stand on the issue? Uh, the story I read said that that uh, one of those officials went to Texas A&M where he did and knew him and was getting his phone number. And Evans didn't give a very good explanation of it. Nothing's going to happen to the officials. Officials are not allowed to approach players, and they approached him in the tunnel. And it seems to me big to do about nothing. The Bucks got much bigger problems than Mike <laughs> Evans signing autographs to officials. Man, you're not lying. They have plenty of issues going on. He can sign all the autographs he wants or do whatever he's got to do. They got issues on the field. John, how about Christian McCaffrey uh, on Thursday during Thursday Night Football last week? He was traded to the 49ers. San Francisco lost to Kansas City on Sunday. But uh, long term, what do you think about that trade from Carolina to San Fran? Not much, considering how much uh, how injured he's been since he signed his big contract. You know, he's a running back, 205 pounds. He got a lot of usage at Stanford. He got a lot of usage here. Then he got the big contract, and he's been hurt a lot the last two years. Now, if he stays healthy, and that's a big if, mm -hmm. of course he's going to hurt the offense. But unfortunately for McCaffrey, he can't play quarterback. And Jimmy Garoppolo's not playing real well, and the Chiefs embarrassed them big time on their field. People are acting like Kyle Shanahan's a genius to get McCaffrey and then they get stomped. <laughs> now, maybe they will go to the Super Bowl. The division's not very good, a huge disappointment, actually. And uh, and then Carolina trades him and turns around and beats the Buccaneers. Right. That, that's, of course, that's how the script was written, right? That's exactly what everyone knew was going to happen, said nobody. John McClain's our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Sticking with that division, the NFC West. The well, hey, Ken, when are you going to ask me? 
about what everybody in Houston's talking about. It ain't the Texans, mm-hmm. and it ain't the NFL. It's the Astros, baby! It's the Astros <laughs> and the World Series. Well, go ahead. Astros, what, what are your thoughts the on the Astros? They want to win a World Series, and they won't say this publicly, but they want to win a World Series just like they did last year when they lost to the Braves in six because they want to have one that people can't accuse them of cheating. Mm. And even though there's only five players left from the 2017 trash can lid banging team, um, they get booed everywhere they go. People in Philadelphia, they have not played at Philadelphia. So there's nothing they're going to get at Citizens Bank Park that they don't get in Yankee Stadium and every other place they go. It seems to kind of fuel them. And anybody who's watched World Series sees what a great pitching staff they have. They got a pitcher, Jose Akini, 3-0 in the World Series. He hadn't even pitched an inning in the playoffs because we've got too many good pitchers starting and relieving. It's going to be their pitching against the Bombers for the Phillies led by Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins. Those guys have hit a lot of home runs. Who's more mad about the trash can cheating scandal, the Yankees or Bob Costas? Well, Bob Costas, I thought, for him to jump right in after the Astros clinch the World Series, they go to him and he starts talking about 2017. I wanted to say, Bob, 2017 was so long ago, you didn't need to have your face caked with makeup like you got right now. And I don't even know why they had Costas out there. I tell you who's the angriest, it's the Dodgers, Mm -hmm. because they beat the Dodgers in the World Series. But... You don't hear people talking about how they beat up the Dodgers in L.A. and how great the Astros' pitching was, and there was no trash can banging for the pitchers. But they got it was tainted. There's no doubt about it. They know it was, and uh, it's time they won one. Four World Series in six years, and they came within one game of a fifth when they lost the seventh game to the Rays. So there's close to a dynasty. Dodgers won one World Series. It was during the, the season-shortened pandemic. Mm-hmm. And uh, Philadelphia won one in 2008. And so I, I'm, people here are pumped. They told me tickets in the Crawford boxes in left field. Usually outfield's the cheapest. You can get one right now for $2,500. <laughs> that's your money, Demond. That's, that's Demond's yeah, money. Yeah, that's Demond's money right there. And how much would a World Series win do for Dusty's legacy? He ain't got one yet. Dusty Baker's already going to the Hall of Fame, but he's never won a World Series. Everybody loves Dusty. Mm-hmm. And he wa- he's going to be back next year. People have asked him, well, if you win a World Series, you're going to walk away. No, I want to manage. Now, that was before the season was over. He has not said that. He said, We'll see after the season. He's in the last year of his contract as his general manager, James Click. But Dusty will be back if he wants to be back. And the players love him. Media loves him. Fans love him. Mm-hmm. And the older he gets, the more people love him. And if he were to win a World Series, I don't think they'd carry managers off the field. But I think if they, they what they should do is have a couple of players go pick Dusty up, give him a ride around the infield. 
I like it. I like it. I, I'm one of those guys that pulls for Dusty every step of the way. I hope that he gets it done this year uh, there with Houston and uh, be able to kind of put that under his belt and solidify that because, like you said, he's a Hall of Famer anyway, but that would be cool to see him win uh, a World Series. John, we'll wrap up with this. Uh, we'll go back to the NFL real quick and the division that you cover, the AFC South. Uh, in Indianapolis, Matt Ryan's been benched. Sam Ellinger is going to be the quarterback. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Ryan was benched by owner Jim Mersey to not risk injury which he'd get like another $17 million next year. And so he's going to sit on the bench, then they'll get rid of him. Sam Ellinger from Texas, he's never taken a snap. He's more of a physical guy. He ran a lot in college. Mm-hmm. Got hurt because he tried to run over people. He's got to be much smarter with the Colts. But it looks to me they're trying to like get in position to draft a quarterback, same way as the Buccaneers, the Panthers, the Texans, There's the Lions – Jared Goff's playing terribly. They're going to need a quarterback. It's a good thing. This is going to be a quarterback-rich draft. If you need one, go get one. They got them ready. John, real quick, just got to ask, did you enjoy the House of the Dragon season finale? Um, I I did, and I, I like House of the Dragon. I like Game of Thrones better because there was more violence and more sex, which I like. And uh, but House of the Dragon made you think. I don't read the books because I can't keep up with the names. All the names seem to be the same to me. The Sirius, Renea, Renee's. I I just can't keep up. But I like it, and I hate to wait because they say it's not coming back till 2024. There you go. I have no idea what you guys are talking about, but it's all good. John GalleriesSports.com. What you got coming out that we need to be on the lookout for? I have a column I wrote that's on there today about the 1980 National League Championship Series, five-game format back then, where the Astros were up on the Phillies by three runs in the eighth with Nolan Ryan on the mound, and they lost in extra innings. It was just devastating for this series. When the Astros were favored like they are now, and they couldn't pull it off, and it brought back a lot of bad memories when I was researching and writing. Thank you. Q, DeMond, thank you guys very much. DeMond, Titans are going to run away with a terrible division. Boom. That's what I like to hear. There it is. Thanks, John. We appreciate you. Thank you, guys. There he goes, John McClain, GalleriesSports.com, also Sports Radio 610 in Houston, giving us all things H-Town. He couldn't wait to talk about the World Series, right? I was getting there. I was going to close <laughs> out with enough. the World Series, but not fast enough because that's – hey, look, man, when you're in Houston and you got something going good, that's what you're talking about. Hell, when the Aces were on their run, what were we talking about? The Aces every day. <laughs> I mean, it's something it's, – it's, it's, it's like it's good to talk about someone winning, man. I like it. Yeah, man, because you're asking all those Texans questions. He's probably like, who cares about the Texans? That's what they're saying in Houston, too. Who cares about the Texans? Right, they they care about the Astros, and I do hope Dusty Baker gets it done. The World Series starts on Friday. Astros and the Phillies, the Phillies, the team that fired their coach after 51 games. Now they're in the World Series. Think about that. Put that in your pipe and smoke it real quick. 3:19 is the time. We'll come back, get to some of your text messages. Then we got Jeff Perlman, the author of The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson, coming up at 3:30. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Got a bunch of text messages and a bunch of phone calls that we want to get to. Of course, 702-365-9200. That is the Raider Nation listener line and the text line is 69187, keyword r The question we threw out there, do you feel better about this team's chances to go on a run or do you still need to see more? I'm assuming most people are going to say they want to see more. So if you need to see more, 
Where would you like to see the development? Where would you like to see the improvement? 69187, keyword R&R, all day Raider A. Hit us up and said, I'm with you, Q. I need to see more from the defense as a whole. More blitzes and more things that can confuse opposing quarterbacks. You were talking about uh, about sea legs. It looked like Mad Max needs to get his sea legs to fatherhood underneath him. Welcome to Fatherhood Club, Big 98. You will be fine. Yeah, no doubt about it. That is a different ball game when uh, <laughs> when you become a father and the game changes and all of a sudden you hear uh, you hear the little crying at night and all of a sudden it wakes you up. It's a it's a different ball game. It's a great bl- uh, a ball game. It's a blessing, but it is a different ball game. Sir Whiskey Ray hit us up. Q&D, good afternoon, gentlemen. And today's topic is a good one. Now that I can think clearly after our whiskey drinking weekend, what I want to see more of is our front four and linebackers causing havoc. I want to see sacks. I also want to see turnovers. At the moment, we are minus one on the turnover differential. Once we start to cause uh, more turnovers, that's an additional possession for our offense, but most importantly, an opportunity to get more points. I want our defense to smack around the Saints team and get our first road win of the season. The Saints are minus 10 on turnover differential, which we need to take advantage of. I'm going to continue to preach this. One week at a time, I believe in this team. Let's go, Raiders. That's Sir Whiskey Ray. I'm glad you pointed out the point differential or turnover differential with the Saints. Minus 10 on turnover differential. You're right. The Raiders need to take advantage of that. That's a really good point. Sir Whiskey Ray, thanks for pointing that out. Our good friend Jason in Maryland uh, hit us with a text. I think Raider fans, including you, Q, need to just chill. That was probably Merrick's worst game as a pro. Averett's first game off IR. He will improve. Silver lining is Cooks didn't get nothing deep, and we held their run game down. Davis Mills just played a good game. In my opinion, he looked prepared for what we were doing. Seemed like he knew where his outlets were, so the pressure never rattled him. Their offensive line later... Uh, their, their, their offensive line... Our later, well, he made quick, firm decisions, in my opinion. Okay, well, I'll skip that part. Sometimes you have to credit the players and coaches of the other team. I think PG, Paul, uh, Paul Gunther, uh, Patrick Graham is best with his game in-game adjustments, and whatever he did from third to the fourth quarter seemed to have worked. I think and hope the defense will be better Sunday. They've been bad in spurts and good in spurts. We just need a complete game defensively. I think that that's what we're talking about. I think that's what we're talking about is just them being consistently good. And on Sunday, they weren't good until late in the in the game. And I'm glad they were in the fourth quarter, right? I'm glad they, they made the timely stops that they had to. I think Raider Nation assisted them when uh, they got real loud in Allegiant Stadium and they had a false start penalty. But the Raiders' defense stepped up at the end of the game. They didn't really step out throughout the course. Uh, we just heard from John McClain who said Davis Mills played his best game of the season. I mean, I, I don't think there's any denying that. And regardless if he was prepared for the game or not, it still was his best game of the season. He looked very comfortable out there. And he hasn't been comfortable all season long. So that was that was just my point. Um, I, I've been a big Trayvon Merrick guy. Uh, you know, I, I think that he's going to come around, but just like Patrick Graham said today, he's just got to, he's a work in progress. He's going to learn by, uh, you know, by going out there and getting game reps. So, uh, yeah, they just need to be consistent. That's kind of what I'm looking for, and I'd like to see it start with the defensive line, especially since the secondary is really banged up. Let's go out to the phone lines real quick. Again, we got Jeff Perlman coming up at 330-702-365-9200. Who we got up first, Damon? ABA Ivan Davis. ABA Ivan Davis, welcome to the show. What's on your mind, brother? Hey, thanks for the call, Q. I'll be real quick. Uh, the, the biggest thing I think we need is the defense, but I'm, I'm going to be very specific. Because you can help the secondary by getting pressure on the quarterback. Right. I mean, they go, they go, they go hand in hand. Okay, so it has to start there. And not necessarily from the ends, because uh, Chandler Jones – even though he's not getting sacks, he is bending that pocket. Okay, but we need more from the middle of that front line. They need to do their jobs, okay, and get pressure. You do that, you help the secondary because now the quarterback has to rush his throw. And the other part that goes hand in hand with that is the offense. Nothing wrong with the offense, but don't be in a rush. 
you know, run that clock down. Old school, East Coast football. Okay, where you just run the ball, run the clock down. Okay, now keep the keep the defense fresh. So when they step on the field, they got a lot of energy to play fast and play hard. Those are the two things I think they need to do. Then they, and one helps the other. All right, Q. What's up, Demond? Have a good day, my man. <laughs> I appreciate the call. That's ABA Ivan Davis. Let's quickly go back out to the phone line and talk to our guy. Quick, welcome to the show. What's on your mind, brother? What up, though, Q Ball? Chilling. Uh, just wanted to chime in here. Improvement-wise, I would like to see more from the pass rush. Ivan Davis just stole my point. That's all good, but he had it <laughs> right on the head. Yeah. Pass rush up the middle going to not only help that secondary, but definitely going to help that liability of linebackers that we got. I know I've been saying that for a couple of weeks, but just be careful. I, I want us to improve there just a little bit more. The, la- the second one I got improvement on is uh, the passing game. I want us to start putting a little bit more fear in the secondary. Start. Obviously, we've got the, the run game ramped up real well. I would like to see us play off of that a little bit more and really start to get Devontae rolling, get Hunter rolling, get some of these guys rolling just a little bit more. I'm out, Cuba. I appreciate you. Hey, good call right there, my man. Definitely appreciate it. And, yeah, it's something that JT uh, talks about all the time. Would like to see the uh, the uh, the passing game open up a little bit more. You know they got the weapons. Just got to continue to see it develop. The good thing is, like on Sunday, the Raiders won without it being just a monster. But they have the opportunity. They have the weapons to have it be a monster, a part of the offense. And, and it would be good to see that going. If you can start striking fear into opposing defenses, like Quick just said, by way of the passing game, how much better is Josh Jacobs on the ground, right? I mean, those two things go hand in hand. It's like the defensive line and the secondary. If the defensive line is nasty and dangerous, the secondary is going to be that much better. If the secondary is really good, guess what? The defensive line is going to be that much better. It's the same with the passing game and the run game. Got a solid run game like the Raiders do? The passing game should open up. If they open up the passing game, guess what? The running game should open up. I mean, it's just it's really as simple as that. So a good call, my man. I definitely appreciate you. You can keep those calls, and we'll keep those texts coming because we do have a guest coming up. But 69187, keyword R&R. Bring those texts in. Keep them coming. We'll get to them in just a minute. But now joining us on the phone lines is the author Jeff Perlman. He is the author of The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. And, Jeff, we definitely appreciate you this afternoon. Uh, and, man, I got to start off with this. I know on Monday you were on the Today Show. How was that? I mean, being on TV, talking about this book that you just penned, how was, uh, how was everything on the today's show it's kind of weird actually i said this to uh, my wife it's like they have you in you're in this spotlight you're sitting next to al roker and then three minutes later <laughs> it's done and like <laughs> my mom's like what's al roker like and i'm like i don't really know because i basically sat three away from him for a few minutes and then it was done so it's very high energy it's very kinetic it's really cool uh all your friends text you even if they didn't know you were going to be on because it spreads very quickly and then you're eating a bagel five minutes later at a deli in New York City. That's funny. And you know, the thing about it is, I mean, that's TV, right? TV goes quick, fast, and in a hurry. Radio, yeah. radio, you get a good 10 to 12 minutes, in, and people don't care. They're like, ah, it's just radio. <laughs> but all your, yeah, friends right? and, your friends and family get excited when they see you on TV. So when I tell my friends later, uh, I'm on Vegas radio, they're going to be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> right. <That's> mustard. <laughs> exactly. They're going to say, yeah, that's cool. Jeff Perlman All is right. our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920 Unnecessary Roughness. His book, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. Of course, that's exciting anytime you hear Bo Jackson's name when it comes to Raider Nation. But, I mean, Bo was an athlete and could do just about anything. When you came up with the inspiration to write this book, what was, what was going on in your mind when you said, you know what, this is the project I need to get done? I just feel like, in a way, writing about Bo is like writing about John F. Kennedy or Tupac or Marilyn Monroe, except he's not dead. Like, 
It's about someone who vanished young from our consciousness, who was explosive and had this dynamic impact either on pop culture or whatever, and then just was gone. And I thought that's really something that fascinated me. It was just, I hate to use a cliche, but really a larger-than-life public figure, a marketing whirlwind, a guy who did the, had these amazing moments climbing a wall, throwing out Howard Reynolds at home, running over Brian Bosworth, on and on and on, and then poof, one day he's gone. And I just was really fascinated by this idea of folklore and mystique in sports. And he did have that mystique. And Jeff, it's so funny watching him perform and whatever he did. And I say perform because that's what it felt like when he was on the football field as a performance. When he was playing baseball, it's like a performance. It always looked like it was so effortless to me. Like it looked like he wasn't even really working hard, even though we know there was a lot of work that went into that. I mean, it's really interesting. He's a very, very natural athlete. There's no doubt about it. He's not a guy who had to grind and grunt. And, you know, like I carry Gary Sheffield. I covered him when he was with. Uh, well, you also cheated with steroids, but besides that, like the guy was always in the cage, always working, you yeah. know, would go to the Dominican and play with, like Bo, until he got hurt, until he had a hip injury and he had to come back and play with the White Sox, it was pretty natural. He wasn't lifting weights, he wasn't running, he wasn't swimming in the pool. Like, he could eat five whoppers and look the same a week later. And um, so I think, yeah, he definitely, he was a hard-nosed player mm-hmm. and he went hard and he wanted to win, but I wouldn't say he was Marcus Allen in regards to work ethic and doggedness. I just wouldn't, to be honest with you. No, I got you. Jeff Perlman's our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. My man Damon's got one for you. With the title of the book, The Last Folk Hero, my mind immediately went to, let's say, John Henry of the old stories of you hear about the folk tales of growing up. So what was the biggest feat of strength for Bo that you found out in your research for this book? Oh, that's so good. I think of a more Paul Bunyan, but John Henry's really good too, man. Um, I mean, I'll give you a couple real quick. Like, first of all, he's so ludicrous, it's not even funny. When I say ludicrous, he, was, um, he won back-to-back state decathlon championships as a junior and senior in high school. He was, he was so far ahead in points, he skipped the 1500, the last event, because he hated distance running. His senior year, he won the state decathlon on a sprained ankle. The next day, the baseball team was in the state playoffs, needed someone to pitch. Bo Jackson hadn't pitched all year. He struck out 13 in the win. Jeez. He also stole 90 of 91 bases in high school. He, um, he set five state track and field records. And um, he set a national single-season home run record with 20 in 25 games. And he didn't play 32 games because he missed seven games for track and field. He, he played in the first night baseball game ever at the University of Georgia when he was at Auburn. So they had lights for the first time. In his second at-bat, he hit the lights. And this is 39 days before The Natural came out in movie theaters. Like, everything about him. He once hit a baseball in, uh, in high school that was so high. By the time it touched ground, he was at third base. And if you think that's nonsense, I get it. But I interviewed 10 different people from that game, including the left fielder, who swears to me Bo is on third base by the time the ball touched the ground. That is insane. That is just, I mean, that, that makes no sense, right? That There's no way that that ever happens except for we're talking about Bo Jackson and that happens. Again, the book is called The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. Jeff Perlman is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920. And, and Jeff, as much as Raider Nation loves Bo Jackson for what he was able to do on the gridiron, I always attest that if he had just played baseball, which he obviously he didn't, but if he just played baseball, he could be a Hall of Famer right now. I would say if he just played baseball and truly devoted himself to learning the game because he was very raw, he could have, could have had a Mike Trout-type career. Mm-hmm. The physical similarities between Trout, Trout, uh, Mike Trout and Bo Jackson are, are you know, numerous. Um, 
but he didn't. He just didn't. And right. I think if he had stayed healthy, I think in football he would have had a Eric Dickerson career. I think if he kept playing baseball, he would have had like a, I always say like a Ruel Mondesi or Sean Green, like a really really good career. But he never devoted himself fully to the sport of football, of uh, baseball. We know about baseball. We know about football. Is there a third sport that Bo Jackson also could have been a pro in or excelled? Could he have been an Olympic level sprinter? Yes. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. His uh, his coach at, at Auburn, Mel Rosen, wanted him to focus exclusively on track and field, um, and and believed he had legitimate Olympic talent. I mean, he he ran some of the fastest times in Auburn history, and he barely ran, and he barely practiced when he was there for track. Like he would show up on off days. But he didn't practice. He just showed up and had a natural just burst. The guy was wait. The guy when he was with the Raiders, he showed up in '87, and on grass they timed him in the forty and they ran a four one nine four. And um, and then uh, they didn't believe it, so they timed him again and he ran a four one seven. Wow, even faster, right? Okay, <laughs> you don't you don't believe my speed? Let me run it a little bit faster. And if people if people don't know what that means, Tyreek Hill has never run a four one seven. Right. Exactly. And, and we talk about him as the as the fastest dude alive just about when it comes to yep. NFL players. Again, Jeff Perlman is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920. And so what does it say about Bo when, you know, he doesn't really even want to talk about himself? He's not a braggadocious guy. He's not a guy out there, you know, pumping himself up. He's just, you know, a grandfather now. He, he mentioned that the other day. He was on, I believe, ESPN. He mentioned he's a grandfather. He doesn't play Tecmo Bowl, never has. He's going to give it to his grandson uh, when he gets older. I mean, just he's just so low key. What does that say about Bo? It says a lot about his character in a good way. It says that he's not a guy who's hanging out to the past. You're not going to walk in his house and see an enormous trophy room with all his jerseys hanging up. He's not going to talk about Derrick Henry or Josh Jacobs and say, oh, man, he should do it like I did it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's not that guy. And it's beautiful. He's not going to be selling bonos, uh, you know, uh, chicken thighs or bonos coins or bonos slinkies. <laughs> like, he'll do a commercial every now and then if they're good and they're funny. He's had a very good business career just a decent human being and he's happy with his place. And that's why when you people like you guys and I say it's such a shame, he doesn't feel that way. Right. Like he did what he wanted to do. It's not a shame to him. His life has been blessed. That's awesome. That and, really when it, and when it comes to like the research for this book, cause I'm very curious about that. What was the most obscure story that maybe you couldn't get enough sources to back up, but someone had the wildest Bo Jackson did this story. Oh man. There's so many. I mean, there's one, I used it because it appeared in his book, but I'm still very skeptical. I mean, it, it's on brand, which is one time he was at like a team lunch for the Auburn baseball team, and there were six flies on a windowsill, and he goes, watch this to his teammate, Trey Gaines, reaches out his hand, grabs all six flies in one swoop, then it opens up his fingers one by one, and the flies singularly fly out of his hand. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's the, no way. Who doesn't do that? <laughs> Who doesn't sit around and grab six flies at one time off the wall? I mean, that's a martial arts kung fu master level of skill right there. Well, bundles. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's kind of the joy and the mystery of the guy. That's part of the fun. You know, it's all fun. Right. It's a fun book. Yeah. It's not a bash bow book. I love Bo Jackson. I love what he stands for. I love what he represents. That, that's awesome. I love it. I really do. And, and Jeff, before we let you go, I did want to ask about you grabbing the brick from uh, from his old his, his home and, and having to explain to the folks in uh, at the Atlanta airport about, you know, uh, you know, what this brick is and why you have to basically take it with you. Yeah, well, he's from Bessemer, Alabama. I went to his home and um, I took a uh, it's an abandoned lot now and I'm walking around and it's, there's just nothing there and 
I see bricks from the foundation under like broken glass and all this. And I'm like, I'm going to take a brick, taking a brick. I take the brick. I call my wife. I'm like, I took a brick. (laughs) She's like, why are you taking a brick? I'm like, it's just cool. But she doesn't get it. But my writer friends get it. And, um, I go to the airport in Atlanta and they're like, what do you have in your bag? And I'm like, it's a brick. And they're like, you can't fly with a brick. (laughs) And I'm like, well, it's kind of, I got a story. Like, well, what? And I'm like, it's Bo Jackson's brick. He grew up in Besmer. I'm writing a book. You guys know who Bo Jackson is. He calls his supervisor over and she's like, all right, you can take the brick. (laughs) It's on my desk at home. Nice. That is awesome. That's something that you got to have. That's a story piece in itself right there. Well, the book, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson by Jeff Perlman, who's been our guest. Uh, Jeff, let them know how to get the book, man. It's something that I'm definitely going to add to my collection immediately. Well, thank you so much. It's available everywhere. You know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the different bookstores. And um, yeah, I worked hard on it. I really appreciate you guys letting me come on. No, no doubt about it, man. Great stuff and great job on the Today Show. And like I said, can't wait to add this book to my collection. Thanks so much for uh, some of your time this afternoon. All right. Thank you. Take care, guys. There he goes, Jeff Perlman. Good stuff right there. And uh, definitely going to add that book to the collection ASAP. Matter of fact, in the next break, I think I'm going to go ahead and make the order before uh, the wife says, another another purchase? You're buying something else? Yep. See, that's the key, Damon. I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to give you the key to life right now. You do it before the wife has an opportunity to say, no, you can't. Or, no, it's not a good idea. Just do it. And then just say, hey, look, it's for the job. It's research. I got to make sure I'm up on game. And then she'll say, yeah, okay, cool. Thanks. And then, like, six months later, she'll be like, hey, so how's that book coming? I'm like, oh, it's coming along fine. <laughs> she always, all the time, dog, no joke, all the time, she'll walk by the my little bookshelf at the house, and she's like, hey, how's this Ricky Henderson book going? And I was like, well, you know, he's uh, about to break the Ty Cobb's record and this and that. She's like, yeah, okay, you know that by memory. I'm like, yeah, okay. Are you the LeBron James of reading books? What's that? Have you ever, like, no, if people will point out, LeBron will be walking into the arena with a book, uh-huh. and it's always at the first page. <laughs> I just, what happens with me, you ain't not reading all them books, man. What happens with me is I like to have the books. I want to read them and I want to go and kind of refer back to them, but I always run out of time and I get so impatient, right? I have a patience problem where I just don't, I don't like to sit down and just have, I was that kid in class that I couldn't just sit there and be quiet and just read to yourself, you know, and they're like, well, read in class. I didn't want to do that. But if the teacher said, Q, you want to read out loud? I'd be like, yeah, cool. I'll tell you the trick. Get on the audio books, man. That's what I do now. Well, if I get the audio books, I'm not going to pay attention somehow, right? So I'm going to listen to it, but then I'll be doing other things because I can, because I don't have to pay. You know what I mean? Like, I'll feel like I can multitask. The drive, you'll knock it, you'll knock it out, man. 20 oh, minutes here, 20 minutes there. That's a good idea. Okay. All right. You're a little, okay. That's a little smart idea right there. I respect that. One quick text, or actually a couple quick texts before we take a break. Sir Whiskey Ray hit us back. Q&D, fantastic interview with Jeff Perlman on his new book on Bo Jackson. I was blessed to watch Bo play back in the 80s. We'll never see an athlete like Bo again. He did it all. For those that don't remember, but his Nike commercials, Bo knows everything. His black and white iconic poster of him being shirtless with shoulder pads and a bat on top of it. Wow. Bo was truly amazing to watch on both fields. That's from Sir Whiskey Ray. Also got a text from the 408. Bo did all that, and he said he never lifted weights. Crazy. And uh, one more text from Mailman Raider. So let's just add Bo taught Bruce Lee everything he knows to his resume. <laughs> I like it. That's a great mic drop moment. Mailman Raider, thank you for that. 3.43 is the time. We'll take a break. Come back. Close out hour number two. It's Raider Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Coming up at 4 o'clock, Lincoln Kennedy, our good friend from the Raiders Radio Network, also multiple-time Pro Bowler, offensive lineman with the silver and black. All he asks for, DeMond, each and every week is just a win. I just want to win. Doesn't care how you get it, just wants a win. Well, 
The Raiders got a win on Sunday. So uh, Lincoln Kennedy, a guy that I was able to talk with earlier today with JT the Brick and myself at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center when we were uh, taping the Raiders Roundtable, which is out right now, currently available on Raiders YouTube. Uh, you'll also hear the audio version of it if you choose to coming up at 5 o'clock as soon as Unnecessary Roughness is over. But uh, you can check out the YouTube. It's available right now. But I encourage you, like I said, don't check it out till 5 because, well, I'm greedy and I want you to listen to the show because, well, we put a lot into it. We want you to listen to it. We want you to interact and have fun with it. You'll be cheating yourself out of content if you do that, if you exactly. listen to it now. Exactly. you got to pace yourself here. Exactly. <laughs> got to pace yourself. But we've been asking the question uh, as the Raiders picked up the win over the Texans, and we know that the, the part of the schedule that they're at right now, this is where everyone's saying they can go on a run. A lot of folks, I mean, we talked to people that last week we talked to Landry Locker, right, and he volunteered that, hey, the Raiders are a good team. I expected them to win the AFC West. I don't know if they're going to do that, but I think that they're going to go on a run. Like, everybody we talked to, always says, I feel like this team is going to go on a run. So are you convinced that this team could go on a run after what you saw on Sunday? Or if you need to see more, which I believe many people are going to say they do, what would you like to see develop the most? Where would you like to see the most improvement come from? That's a question we've been asking today at 69187, keyword r and of course, 702-365-9200. And there's a lot of good stuff uh, to get to on the text line, a lot of great answers. And, of course, you could always hit us up as well. Let's see. Um, Trey in Kansas City, expecting more from this defense. is Oh, he already said that. It's like expecting rocks to turn into gold. I got that earlier. Sorry about that. Uh, that's an older one. Uh, let's see. Okay, how about this one from the 916? This doesn't have anything to do with the question we asked. Uh, do you think the Raiders might be in on someone like Payne or even Collins from the Texans? It's funny, Collins. Remember, that was Malik Collins. He was with the Raiders at one point. That was the one that John Gruden said, hey, you know, the key to the Raiders' defense goes through Malik Collins, and he never panned out to do anything. I remember when he played with Dallas, he was a pretty good player. He wasn't all that, but he was a pretty good player. I was pretty excited when the Raiders grabbed him. He did nothing with the silver and black, so I don't think Collins is going to be a guy that's on the Raiders' uh, radar at all, at all. He got injured as well on Sunday against the, te- uh, against the Raiders. Uh, with the Texans. Um, Deron Payne, he's a guy that's been rumored in Washington to be potentially on the on the trade block. I don't know. I would love I would personally, and this is just me just spitballing, I would love to see them go make a move for a big time defensive tackle. I would. I would love to see a guy that's a difference maker from the interior that could just get to the quarterback and also stop the run. And I know there's not a whole lot of those guys that grow on trees. I mean it just doesn't. Of course Aaron Donald's the first guy we think of. He's He's the elite of the elite, but I would like to see a good one, a, a one that can, you know, uh, provide that penetration. And, and like I said, really just kind of help close up the pocket, right? Just kind of, uh, you know, not allow the, the the quarterback to step up into the pocket, into those uh, and be able to step up and make those uh, those you know, those passes down the middle of the field. I would love to see a guy like that, but I don't think currently they have one. I don't know if they're going to be in the market to go get one. Because, like you said, those guys are so hard to come by. Because I was thinking of the guy from Washington. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But the guys that are, let's say, 25 and under, even if they're on a bad team, the team doesn't want to give up a good asset like that just in the middle for the trade deadline just for the sake of a couple of draft picks where that guy can be a building block for the future on the rebuild. So then you're looking at maybe some veterans that are discontent on bad teams. So the player that the Raiders may want is just not available. Or it would be the perfect situation of a player who is disgruntled on a bad team and they're having a fire sale to get rid of a, a veteran on a good contract. And, you know, I've I've maintained this, and I'm not, you know, pounding the table and saying that the Raiders need to go sign this guy. I'm still interested in wondering why Sue is not signed to a team. Not saying to the Raiders, but any team. I mean, he's been a pretty good player his whole career. 
I just don't know why he hasn't signed to any team in the league, not just the silver and black, but any team. It just kind of blows my mind. I do think that with him, it's it's attitude to say, for lack of a better words, not so much he's a bad attitude. I just think that he's a, you know, he's an acquired taste. Where you don't want, like, <laughs> is the risk going to be the reward? Where you have a guy where he's not a bad guy, but he's the guy that's, hey, man, let's talk about the finances. Or, or hey, man, you owe me $20. I'll give you a check type of a guy <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of Where are you going? <laughs> oh, no, that's a story where like, where a guy had to give up the number. Like, he, it was a jersey swap number. Oh, okay. It was a situation. Got you. And instead of, you know, hey, I'll give you, like, you know, a thousand bucks. And Dominican 2 actually gave the guy, like, a, like a check in the form. Like, oh, like, you can, like, cash this out through here. Right. And it can be tax deductible. And it's just like, yo, man, just give me a thousand dollars for the jersey number. Right. Got you. No, know you got it. No, that's like a real story. The guys in uh, D.C. right now, the defensive tackles, they have Jonathan Allen. Obviously, he's the big uh, defensive tackle out of Alabama. He's a six-year vet. They just signed him. Uh, they gave him a contract extension. That's why I think that Deron Payne, also out of Alabama, five-year vet, I think he's available because they don't want to pay two of those guys. You're not going to pay both of those guys uh, in the interior big-time money. They got some dudes, man. That's the one thing about Washington. I know they're not a very good team. They got some dudes on that defensive line. They really do. And one guy that I was hoping that the Raiders were going to have an opportunity to get this past year in the draft was Fedarian Mathis out of Alabama. It's funny, they got all these Alabama dudes on their defensive line, right? And they're, and they're all working out. They're all working out. I mean, you're looking at, like I said, Jonathan Allen. You're looking at Deron Payne. Uh, they just drafted uh, uh, Fedarian Mathis. I mean, they, they got some dudes. So they're, And I know that Mathis isn't playing right now, but I think that at some point he's going to be a really good player. But uh, they got some guys that I think that they can afford to trade one away like a Deron Payne. Uh, I just think that that is a, an area that's needed probably the most because the secondary is struggling and the, and the secondary is banged up with, with Nate Haas being out. I mean, you're really limited on who you have. So a really strong defensive line and a really strong pass rush is going to help that secondary be that much better. Let's go out to the phone lines real quick. 702-365-9200. Who we got up next? Manny in Denver. Manny, welcome to the show. What's on your mind, brother? Hey, can you know, just calling in, man. I hope I was all with both, both of you. Um, just a question. So, you know, we're talking about, so I do think they're going to go on a run here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, call me crazy, but I think we end up seven and four um, going into that game. I think it's against the Chargers at that point. Um, but, you know, we look at this defense, but, you know, right, because Houston was averaging, what, 19.8, something like that. They did keep them to their average. And is this the new norm for defense in the NFL to play this soft shell defense that they've been looking at? You know, the Raiders, seems like almost every single week, but last week, you know, against the Chiefs or a couple weeks ago, they faced that. Almost every way, you know, you have that, that shell defense, you have that mm-hmm. too high look. Um, I'm just kind of curious, like, is it almost like a, trying to develop this bend but don't break kind of thing or wait for the other teams, you know, the offense to, to make a mistake, you know? And so that was kind of my thinking behind it this last this last week, you know? And I get, you know, the Raiders' defense is absolutely horrible in the red zone as far as giving up touchdowns. But I'm almost curious if this is the new approach that we're going to start seeing defenses play. So hopefully that makes sense. That's yeah, no, it does. Sense on it. Hey, thanks for the call, man. Good stuff, Manny. And yeah, I, I think that that is reasonable, right? I can see them doing with the, the bend don't break, you know, because again, right now, yards don't matter. What matters is what happens on the scoreboard. If you can stop a team, and this is what we've been saying about the Raiders defense for a long time. Nobody's asking them to be the 85 Bears. Nobody's asking them to be, you know, lights out, top three defense across the league. All I'm saying is if you can stop a team from getting touchdowns a couple times a game with the offense that they have, the ability that they have offensively, and really it's starting to come together. We, I don't think, have seen the best offense 
um, uh, outlook, you know, output so far from the Raiders. If they could stop a team from scoring touchdowns a couple times a game, you're putting yourself in great position to win. It's just that we just haven't seen it consistently enough. And when you do see a good performance from the defense, like going back to the Cardinals game when they put up 20 in the first half and the Cardinals put up nothing, in the second half it would have been nice to see, you know, 10 points here, 14 points from the offense just to seal the deal, but they weren't able to keep that, that production up. And then the, the defense got tired. They were on the field too long, and that resulted in a loss. So it just, it just it, it needs to go hand in hand. It really do. Uh, S. Jonas tweeted at us, Raiders should go get Buckner from the Colts. They're falling off. That'd be a great get. You ain't lying. <laughs> you ain't lying, man. If the Raiders could go get DeForest Buckner, man, I might do a, a cartwheel in the hallway. And based off of what I did with uh, Vegas Jess out there in the street playing football, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe that's a bad idea to try to do a cartwheel. I might come in here with a broken arm or something. Like, what happened to Q? Try to do a damn cartwheel. So so maybe <laughs> maybe I shouldn't try to do that. But no, uh, that's, a good, that's a good one right there. DeForest Buckner from the Colts would be fantastic. 356 is the time. You can keep those texts coming at 69187, keyword R&R. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider, Raiders Radio Network. He'll join the show. Kickoff hour number three. It's Raider Nation Radio 920.